guys, welcome to My Condolences, the podcast about the hilarious and harrowing stories of life after death. I'm your host, Laura Harmon, and today we have Everett Maxine, and we're going to talk about her mom, Talma. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to say for sure that you have an amazing podcast called The Absence of Her that we will get to later. But first things first, why don't you tell me a little bit about your mom? What was she like and what was your relationship like? Well, I was my mom's only child that she birthed. Um, My mother was a hard worker. Um, She was a nurse aide from the time I was born, basically. She always took care of other people. Um, She had a really sweet spot for other people but our relationship in the beginning was just it sucked (laughs) she didn't she didn't really care to be dealing with the child and um and then she also drank so the mixture of those two was pretty rough it was pretty challenging but um as we got into adulthood i sought out therapy Good for you. And I saw actually sought out therapy for myself because I was going through a separation of my marriage and it was just it was a lot going on. And that was back in 2017. And so um going to therapy helped me not only see stuff by myself, but other people. Mm-hmm. So I was able to understand her a little bit better. So the latter parts of our um relationship were a whole lot better. We were like a real mother and daughter. We got to spend time together. Um, and I think adulthood was a lot better because, uh, back in 2004, mm-hmm. she, um, collapsed at home. We didn't know she had asthma. She had pneumonia, all this stuff combined. She should have died. She was comatose for like eight days. Wow. Yeah. And then when she woke up, she was in a state of paralysis. So she had to learn how to walk again. Wow. Yeah. And the doctor told her, don't smoke anymore. But she kept trying to smoke. But she didn't have the taste for alcohol anymore, which I thought was pretty cool. And so I got to see this whole different person aside from alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, like I say, in adulthood, our relationship was a lot better. But as a child, it just kind of sucked. We just didn't click. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that your mom was diagnosed with asthma and you believe that uh, it was asthma that possibly ended her life. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about that day? What, if there was anything leading up to it, was it a total surprise? Well, it wasn't a total surprise at all. And that's why I think my level of acceptance is like totally odd for some people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Because a couple of months prior to that, I had asked her about her life insurance policies. Um, I had actually squared away some songs on YouTube I liked and I tagged it mom service. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on May 28th, we were at my grandmother's bedside because my grandmother died a couple of days before my mom. And she said something about, yeah, <laughs> she said something about having had an asthma attack at work. And I'm like, you didn't tell us. And she was like, I don't tell y'all everything. And so I don't know. I felt that moment when she said that I was like, that's going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. And so it was Father's Day. I think that was like the 17th. It was a Sunday. And um, her husband had passed four years prior to that. His death was really quick. And so I was going to send her the video of her and my father and her at his bedside. And I was like, yeah, she ain't thinking about it. I don't want to remind her. Mm-hmm. And so 
late that night, I just started crying out of nowhere. Hmm. And I drove, I said, I just want to be around my mom. So I drove all the way back to my hometown of Bay City, Texas. And I was living in Pearland at the time, which is about an hour and a half drive. Mm-hmm. They have an alleyway and I'm like, eh, I'm going to sit out here, just sleep out here. I don't want to wake her up. I just want to be close to her, but it's kind of dark in that alleyway. So <laughs> I, went up, I went up to some family's property on another road and I'm texting a friend. and I'm like, I feel really down. I'm depressed. I'm crying. I don't know what the heck is wrong with me. And so she's talking me through. Um, and then I just get all kind of calm. And I go back home. But on the way home, I was like really praying over myself. Like I've never prayed that hard. And um, so for any spirits of depression, spirits of thoughts of suicide, all of this. I'm like, why am I praying like this? Next day, I don't hear from my mom. And Tuesday comes and I get to the counseling place that I go to and I get a call from a number I don't know. And they call again and then they leave a message. Mm-hmm. Well, it was my cousin-in-law. She's like, go check on your mom. She didn't come to work. The moment she said those words, my mother didn't come to work. I knew she was gone mm-hmm. because she never missed a day of work. And mm-hmm. from what they had told me, she had called in that Saturday and here it was that Tuesday. And so I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want them to do a wellness check and move her body or anything before I got there. And so I told a couple of people that would have went and watched the house, but um, family had already got the got the word and people were already over there. They just didn't want to tell me. So like five minutes before I got to the house, I was like, I'm calling them up and I'm like, just tell me. Like if she's gone, she's gone. The Justice of the Peace didn't want me to look at her because she had been deteriorating. And I was like, no, I want to see her. Her color hadn't changed. She was really swollen, but she was still on the albuterol machine. Mm-hmm. So the air from it had um filled up her body, I guess, and puffed her up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was it. And then it rained. And when I said rain and it rained and I was like, mom, like, can you let us get something done? Because you're flooding the street <laughs> and I can't get anything done. But in that moment, it was just like, I was numb. I had helped her do my father's service. So bam, bam, bam. I knew what to do. Got it done. And I just moved forward. And and we had just, like I said, my grandmother passed. She was 95 on May 28th. Here it was. We found my mom on June 19th. And that's less than a month apart. And then that same year, my divorce became final. So it was a lot in 2018. So you had a really crappy 2018. Yeah. <sighs> It's it's funny how that stuff like when it when it rains it it literally pours. And <laughs> right. For for you to have had um, such kind of a spidey sense about that, it, it I really believe that those things are divine intervention in some way because I remember being a little girl and I think I had to have been in fourth or fifth grade and we had a great aunt who I loved that was in town. It's her last night with her husband. They were going back to Ohio and and I went to a friend's house to have a sleepover instead. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You got to take me home. You got to take me home. And I go with my dad to the airport in the morning and uh, to say goodbye to her back when you could still go in pre 9-11 to the airport. And, uh, <laughs> and she died like 10 days later. And oh. it was one of those things. Like, so I really believe in those things being a higher power that comes in that just told you like, 
you got to get there, you got to, you know, and then having that almost transition. How have you had thoughts like that about not wanting to be here on earth since that particular night or has that been recurring for you? No, I, um, and I, the great aunt thing, I was, I had an attachment to a great aunt coming up, coming up and she actually passed away when I was about 10. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little girl when I was praying to God for like, I don't, I guess you would call it discernment to know when these people so close to me were going to leave. Mm-hmm. And it never fails that when somebody close to me is fixing to pass, I, you know, have a dream or a vision of such, mm-hmm. but no, her passing did the opposite for me. Like most people are, oh, I can't live without my mom. I can't do this. My life is just not the same. It made me stand up and be an adult. Mm-hmm. And um, even th- I was already going, like I said, through the separation and I was actually struggling financially because I was just switching to the job that I have now. I was supposed mm-hmm. to actually train the day after we found her. And so um, it and then she was telling me because I, I had never paid like I think my rent was $800. I had never paid that kind of rent before in my life. Never lived on my own as an adult. And so she was like, I can't really help you, you know, and I was like, it's OK. I don't, you know, and I didn't tell her that I was struggling. But I, I, I am thankful that I got to a place where I wanted to stand on my own, not depend on my mom. Because if I was in that place in my life, I'd be really screwed up mm-hmm. if I was dependent on her. Like some people are dependent on other people. So when they leave, they just right, absolutely they have, don't, don't right, know what to do. they crumble, sure. So I think it, it, it did the opposite. It, it never, I never once said, I don't want to be on this earth. With all this going on, I'm thankful she's not here dealing oh, yeah, with this with crap. COVID, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, for you, you are... Uh, your mother's only biological child. Do you have siblings, or are you an only child? I'm I'm an only child, and through marriage, she gained four children. I'm an only child by her. Now, my biological t- dad has a whole bunch of kids, but <laughs> <laughs> well, what has that been like for you to essentially be on your own now? It is very empowering because to follow through with getting a divorce with somebody that I'd known since I was 12. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was hard, but it turned toxic really fast. And so um, when she had the, the life insurance, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but I was able to bury her and return to school and finish out my degree. Cause it's like, you could buy a bunch of material stuff, but I mean, if you don't have a good career, you're screwed. Right. And so I went ahead and got the divorce at the, at the same time. And I just, I feel like I'm in one of the best places in my life, mentally and emotionally. Good for you. I'm, I'm, I have to say that's, it's really amazing that you've taken it as, you know, uh, like you said, a motivator is something that will push you forward because it's true. It is such a crossroads, right? Like some people pull over and they stop and they don't, they don't propel their lives forward. And then there are some of us that really get involved and want to chase this version of our life. So why don't you tell me, what is one of the funniest or worst things that someone said to you after your mom passed? I feel like the worst thing that somebody said to me was, and I have no problem saying, when my cousins told me about my mom being in the mental hospital, 
something that I knew nothing about. And of all things they could have said, of all memories they could have, and I hadn't even finished planning the funeral yet. We hadn't buried her yet. And it's like, of all things you could have said to me with laughter is about her being in a mental institution. And it troubled me because here I am with this information and I can't even go ask her, what was that like? Yeah. What was the purpose of that? Do you think? I am a, you know, high believer in the spiritual world and in God. And I feel like the enemy works through people. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. I was in a good place, he was using them to try to bring me down, you know, and be really upset about her being gone. Now that's my mother. I I miss her, but I didn't feel the need to lose my mind about her not being here. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. How do you, Everett, how do you protect your energy from that kind of stuff? I separated myself. Like I literally quit speaking to them for the past year. And it's not like I think I'm above people, but I don't care whether it's family or people you consider friends. If it's toxic, you need to separate yourself. And even with my ex-husband, there were people saying, oh, he's hurting. He's grieving. You need to see about him. No, it's toxic. Like, and you, and when you're grieving, you have to be very careful because you're very vulnerable. You're very sure. open. Oh, and that's Even, when, when all the pariahs come out, right? When you're, oh, at, you're yeah. at your most vulnerable is when people sweep in and, and you have to be very careful during that time. Because I wouldn't even, when we had the funeral service, I went, I came out the limo, went in the service, and I knew it'd be a mass of people because our family is well known. My grandmother had 11 children. So, and I went straight back to the limo. And so anybody that knew me knew I was in the car. I wasn't going to allow all these people to hug on me and touch on me. And no, because I, I, I believe in transferring of energy. Like, no, not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I stay, I stay positive. I stay prayed up. I, I have a small, I wouldn't call it a circle of friends that I deal with. Um, one of my closest friends, she has, she lost her father before I lost my mother. So we both know what it's like to yeah. experience losing a parent. And I just try to have, be around like-minded individuals. Doesn't mean they're going to agree with you all the time, but you like you have some common goals. You want well, to do some things. Right. It's like having someone in the same arena as you. It's like, that's something that grief really unites people. And until you've gone through it, you don't know what that color even looks like. It's like, I always say that it's like, you see lavender all of a sudden you're seeing yellow that you've never seen before. Cause you can look around and go, Oh, that person sees what I see. That person feels what I feel. And when you right. move through, especially it really blows my mind how often people meddle in things after someone has died. I interviewed um, a brother and sister on here and, and uh, this poor girl, uh, Carrie, who's so sweet was literally in the line at the funeral home with people coming by. And someone said, you know, you really should have gotten married before your mother died. That's all she wanted. And it was just like, dumb stuff. Yeah. You're like, that is so not your place. And so it, it doesn't, it disappoints me that your cousin said something like that. It doesn't surprise me because people are clueless, but you're like, that didn't really help you. Like you needed someone. Well, why don't, I'm not even going to say what you need. Tell me what could someone have done to help you at the time? 
I felt like just being there because the two that said it, they have both lost their moms. So it was like, yeah, I would have felt, I would have, but they didn't take it well when their mother's passed. Their closure, I don't think they found closure yet. But um, I would have just loved to be embraced. Mm -hmm. You know, not even asking me a bunch of questions or anything, just chill time. We could just sit here and have margarita, glass of wine, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. But if you, if you, I just wish people would think what they say to people, mm-hmm. especially when people are grieving, because in that time, you really need authentic people to be there for you. Absolutely. What is something you think is like the biggest no-no to do or say around someone who's going through grief? I'm there for you because a lot of people really aren't there for you or, or let me know if you need anything. When the, um, and that's one of the things I've been writing about, um, when you really know you have no intention of being there for that person or one of the most valuable things people can give when somebody is grieving is their time Mm -hmm. and you know you're not willing to give your time to be a listening ear um then don't offer don't (laughs) and and don't don't offer solutions like (laughs) just listen like don't 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 try to fix the problem be like well this is what you should have did or this is girl when i when i lost my mom no no two experiences are the same and i will tell somebody hey i lost my mother but i will never say your experience or my experience was worse than yours or yours is worse than mine not comparison like people just say some dumb stuff like they don't they don't really think it out I think we just say things to make ourselves feel better, like we're really being there for that person when we're not. Well, that's such a selfish, selfish act, I agree, because it's there's nothing worse. And when you're really, I mean, I remember for us, because I was 15 when my dad died, the people that did say, oh, we're going to be here for you. We're going to take your family on a trip. We're going to go on a a family vacation, all of us together. We're going to come over and make you dinner. You can come with us to blank. And then when that didn't happen, it was so devastating because it was like the abandonment of already losing our parent and then the abandonment of not having anybody there. It was, it was twofold. It really, you're right. It's, I would, if you're not going to do it, don't say that you're going to do it because people are, are counting on that. And when you are isolated because you've lost a loved one or you, or just the process of grief is isolating like you do need people. And so I, it really is kind of like that, put your money where your mouth is in a lot of ways. And, and you really um, see through the BS more when you go through it longer and over and over again, you're like, Oh, I have no tolerance for this. Like I don't have my, my tolerance level has changed because I used to be, I used to let people walk all over me a lot Mm -hmm. and I just deal with it and not say anything. But it gave me a thicker skin because when I had my mom, it's kind of like she dealt with family first before me. <laughs> and then when I had my husband, he did too. So I guess they kind of were my buffers, but now it's just me. So I don't, and then therapy is, I've been in therapy now three years. We're getting ready to terminate that, but um, it has been a great help to me to know who I am and stand up for who I am. And it's like, Hey, if these people can't accept that, it's okay with me. I don't have to be the popular one and have all these Preach. friends. 
Preach, woman. <laughs> it's so important. And it, it cracks me up because I too have had a very extensive therapy journey. And I took like 10 months off and it was like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in life. And I was like, I should have been back in therapy and I'm back in therapy now. And, and it, it does make all the difference to be empowered solely as yourself, not you know, your mother's daughter, not the, you know, the coworker of the wife of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you have that power within yourself, when you're able to channel it and go, what do I want? And not in a selfish way, but in like a self-caring way, what do I want? Right. What am I going to do with my time? Like you talked a lot in your podcast, but like, what is your purpose? What are you going to do? You will be unstoppable. And, and it's hard. I too have a complicated relationship with my mom where it's like, you know, uh, there, there are all these elements of our parents, right? That we, as little girls can see. And as adults, you go, okay, I can rationalize that, but that are hurtful and that are there and deep rooted. And so you really don't need to have anyone telling you how to process your mother's death. When exactly. She wasn't their mother. <laughs> she was your mother. You know what I'm saying? Like, but people think that they just have a right to come in and go, okay, I've read, here's the deal, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, hi, that doesn't, that does not work for me. Mm -mm. And people love just because you know, somebody doesn't mean, you know, you know, of somebody, let me say that because people think they know people and they don't, they just know of people. Right. They might know their name. They don't know what their household was like. They don't know yep. what their upbringing was like. Yeah. They don't know the financial situation. They don't know whether or not people can stay in the house. They don't know if they're relieved that the person's gone. It's just that like the, the, I always say like the tabloid headline of like, oh, so, and you know, being in a small town, it's like, we, it's, it's a gossip mill. And no matter where you are in the country there, everybody knows everybody's business. But if you really said, but how is she doing today? And where, you know, are they going to be able to stay in the house? And does, do they need to get a second job? You know, all these things, they don't know. And they don't really want to know because that gets too real, too messy. Right. So tell me, what advice would you give to someone who loses their mom? First off, I would advise them, regardless of how good they feel or how bad they feel, to, I recommend therapy. That's my number one thing. Um, I recommend a finding a good support system. It doesn't necessarily have to be family, but somebody that you can rely on that you know is going to be there for you. And I don't mean blow that person's phone up, but <laughs> be realistic. But, you know, have you a good support system and have you some things that you can, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve but don't wallow in that. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, you don't love them more because you mourn them longer, just point blank. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what some people think, the longer I mourn them, or if I stop mourning them, that means that I don't, I love them less. Right. And I don't think that's true, right? Because, you know, we can, we can love and miss and mourn our parent the rest of our lives and still get up and do things and find the joy and the, and the love and the humor and the compassion of this version of life. So something I'm really excited to talk to you in particular about, let's talk about God. Woman, <laughs> okay. I listened to the introduction of your podcast and you tell me, what is the name of the uh, poem that you wrote? The first one? Yes. I'm not going to even lie. I don't know. I know it was about the suicide. 
right? It was like the, I have so I have hurt. so many so many poems oh. that I've written. Oh, let me see if I wrote down on my phone. Hold on, let me see. I'm all trick. I might have written it down. No, I put it in something I thought on here. Um, okay, well, doesn't matter because we're going to send everyone to your podcast and I want them to listen to it. <laughs> this poem that you wrote was incredible. It read like a prayer. I was so comforted by it. And it really is the first time in a very long time that anything around God has made me feel good. So mm. tell me about your version of God. Tell me about what this experience was like being one of God's children leading you through, you know, your life, your mom passing away, and now? Well, see, I was very young and going to church, and um, nobody, my my parents weren't going with me at the, well, it was just me and my mom's time, but she wasn't going to church with me, and so I started going to church, and <laughs> my youth matron, and I became, I became very attached to her, because she was a really kind lady, she is a really kind lady still, um, and so that's when my relationship with God began. It began after my great aunt passed away, the one that I speak of, because she was my playmate. She did everything with me. And um, I was about 10 years old. Now, I had a lot of struggles at home and I was kind of bullied at school. So I just immediately thought Christianity fixed everything. I was naive in the beginning. I mean, you're a kid. You don't know everything. Of course. But um, as I've gotten older, Christianity for me is the hope that things that will be better. And so it has given me stability even on my bad days. Cause like yesterday, yesterday was a really bad day, but I find things to say, God, I'm thankful for. And it makes the day a lot better because mm -hmm. I can just look at things and see how blessed I am in mm -hmm. spite of. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that is, that is God for me. My life may not be perfect, but I can look and see where he has kept me. When I pray, he hears me. When I, and this is the best part of my life because I've actually submitted my life to him. Like when I was with my husband and I tried to control my life and I felt like even though God had some things that he wanted me to do, Everett had her own plans of what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And even though we have free will, I feel like, like the scripture says, um, um, few are chosen. And so I feel like I was one of those chosen ones. There are some things that he needed me to do, some people he needs me to reach. Do I consider myself a minister or anything like that? No. Um, but I just feel like if you live by example, you can still help people. And so that's what I've been trying to do um, since 2018. Um, because a lot of people felt like I was just strong, losing my grandmother, my mom going through the divorce, and it wasn't within my own strength. So right, I wasn't right. going to have them foolishly believing this, and then they're exhausted and everything, like, oh, she's doing well. Why, uh, why aren't I doing well? No, I will never say, oh, I'm a girl, I'm doing this for myself. I didn't manifest this for myself. No. Even um, leaving the marriage, a lot of people like, well, since you left him, seems like you're doing better. No. I will not, I don't even allow the negativity, you know, people want to bring in about that situation. No, it has nothing to do with that. I, I finally decided to submit my life to God and my life is a whole lot better 
<laughs> because I'm doing the things that he wants me to do in his will. And so it feels like just like everything that I wanted has lined up, everything that I needed in my life. And my patience level is increasing, my tolerance and the way I'm able to see other people. I no longer just be like, oh, well, you know, judging a book by its cover. I have a better understanding of people and I have a um, greater desire to want to know people for themselves. When do you feel closest to God? I feel closest to God actually when I'm driving and having prayer. You know, some people will say, oh, if I'm sitting in the closet or because when I'm driving, because I'm a lot of times I'm driving and I'll start praying and it's just like, I'll just start looking around me and there's so many things that I can be thankful for. And I wasn't always in that place. Right. You know, and I look at a lot of people complaining about 2020 and it's like, you still have a lot to be grateful for. I'm not getting thrown out on the street. 100%. Um, I've, I've been quarantined a couple of times for COVID, but I came back negative and I wasn't hospitalized. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, and it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, sometimes it's hard. Because you, you might not have the finances you want or you won't, don't have the car you want or you don't have the things you expect to have had. But, yeah, that's when I'm driving. So where do you think your mother is now? We're taught that they're not yet in heaven. That that is upon Jesus' return. That they'll be awakened out of a deep sleep. So that part for me, I, I, I don't really know about the afterlife. I can only understand what I was taught mm -hmm. because I'm not in the afterlife. Right. But I just picture what I would love for her to be. And I just feel like my mother is at rest. Um, and, and she's at rest. Her heart is at peace and she's not alone. If you two could sit down together, what would you say to her? Well, I would say that I love her. I would never beg her back here. And that I wish I could have gotten my career and stuff together prior to her leaving. So that I could have did more things for her financially. So tell me about the absence of her this beautiful podcast that you created last year. It's, I feel like it is going to be my little mini church. Like, tell me about it. What, I mean, I, we know that it's about your mother and your journey, but what made you want to do it? And where do you see it going from here? Well, one of the things, like I said, people thought I was strong and I am my therapist kept saying, well, what are you going to do, you know, to honor your mom? Are you going to go? Cause my mom worked at the nursing home for 28 years. Wow. And she's like, are you? Yeah. Long time. Long Cause time. I tried it. I didn't last three months, but she loved what she did. Um, now I said, I can't go to the nursing home. I will literally, I said, I can't, it's too hard. Like I grew up at the nursing home as a yeah. little girl. And so even one night I did a delivery for DoorDash and I was in a nursing home, nursing home that's nowhere near home, but just that setting, I started crying. Mm. But the absence of her, I felt the need to share the things that I had been through because a lot of people don't know me. 
they just know me as the smart black kid. <laughs> mm. And um and because my like I said, my town is small. And so nobody knew about my home life. Nobody really knew about my marriage. Nobody really knew about some things. And I felt it was really necessary to share. Because how can I say I care about people and I'm I've I'm watching them go through things that I've gone through. And I'm not even trying to say, hey, I've been through that. Right. Like steer, steer away from that or, you know, because I think that's the greatest problem with the church. And I mentioned that in a radio interview I did. My greatest problem with the church is that we have a lot of people in the church, but a lot of people aren't authentic about, hey, I've been there. Yeah, I used to drink. I got drunk. There's a lot of people that get saved and they get delivered and then they act like they've never had a past. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people from wanting to come to church mm-hmm. or come to Christ because they see people like this and they feel like this is the example of Christianity right. and it shouldn't be that way. I think I think that's very accurate. I know, you know, I grew up obviously in the South as well. And, and I have always, as a little girl, I was very close to God. It was my solace, my, um, just my comfort in so many ways. And then after my dad died, I just couldn't go back into the youth group environment. It was all BS. It was all, no one else was really there for God or for the connection or for anything. It was like this kind of flippant thing. And then you go and and the church is full of people who you're like, well, that guy has a mistress and she's a drunk and their kid has a, a drug problem and they're hiding their daughter's pregnancy. And like all these things that are so just feel gross like that. In my mind, I always tell people, I go like, ah, Jesus, and I look <laughs> over and God's here. And he's like, right. And it's like, that's how I see God. Like it is a um, shoulder to shoulder thing of like, not even I'm above you, but I will walk with you. I will be with you. And I, I think that your podcast is such a beautiful testament to your, um, devotion to him and seeing that in a way that is a comfort that you can be in alignment with yourself and share the vulnerable dark times because we all have them. I don't believe a single person on earth doesn't have them. Why are we all holding up this facade of perfection when, and we could talk about this all day. I mean, like just for just as women alone that we're, we're required to be all these things, but you must feel very free now. Do you feel about that? Cause my, one of the people that, um, that I got inspired by listening to, cause I had never listened to a podcast before mm-hmm. I created a podcast was Brene Brown. Woo-hoo! And so I watched, I think it was called a call to courage on Netflix. And mm-hmm. cause I was struggling then about the podcast and I'm like, Oh, what will people think? And I was like, forget what people think because I actually had a dream and I was naked in the dream (laughs) and the words came to me naked, but not ashamed. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was like being completely vulnerable and not being ashamed about that because I'm not the only person that has had the experiences that I went through. And when she said, you know, why worry about the opinions of people if they're not willing to step in the same arena as you? Bam. And they don't even have mud or dirt or blood on their face. And so, and that, that's the other thing too, that I think I, cause it is nerve wracking to get a podcast going, right? It's nerve wracking to tell your story, to bear your soul, to go on an Instagram live. Like it's, it's hard. And, but 
I look at it too, that you said this in, in your podcast, I was listening to it. Like some of your greatest haters are the ones that are closest to you. So the right. podcast isn't for them. It's for people like me and people like my other, you know, my friends, the community I've met on Instagram and through the grief network. There are other people out there who need your voice, who need your story, your experience. And, and they need mine too. Like here's, right. here's, I'm facilitating other people's experiences to be shared. Like that, is that for every person that's a deep closest friend or family member? No. 75% no. of people that I know that I, not really as much anymore. I've really thinned out the pack in the last year. I've been like, bye, bye, bye. Like, feels great. It was really sad at the beginning, but now I'm, I'm over it. I'm like, get out of here. Right. But, but when you, when you realize that certain people in your community who are your friends or your family or your support, and they haven't listened to the podcast or they're not asking, it's like, okay, you have permission to grow beyond them, past them, away from them. And then you find all these beautiful people out there that are going to love you and love your story and want to empower you and watch you fly. And that's what I absolutely. think you're, you're doing with the absence of her. I think it's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. If you get caught up in thinking, and, and I've had that before because when I used to run a little basket business, and you automatically think when well, you're doing something, the people that are going to support you, oh, when I start off, well, I have this many cousins and this many family members and I'll, that'll get me going. And then when that doesn't happen, you're like, well, dang, they're not supporting me. I guess I suck. Right. And so when I started looking at my stats and seeing the people that were hearing from hearing me and some of the feedback that I was receiving, it was like, you can't worry about them that's closest to you mm -hmm. because there are people that need to hear this. There are people that need to be healed and because one of the top things that I shared about was the sexual assault and I get feedback from women about that and it's like it's so it's so hard to hear but it's also helpful to hear that these women something happened to them but from somebody that they knew mm -hmm. and so I share a lot of things the grief um the sexual abuse the tore up marriage things that people aren't willing to talk about mm -hmm. because, and, and you, you talk about a load lifted. Yes. Because for years I tried to be this perfect person mm -hmm. and compare my life to them on social media and be like, why isn't my life like that? And uh, that is so stupid. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think also the South really perpetuates that cycle for us as women that we are supposed to be perfect. We are supposed to have it all. We're supposed to be amazing wives, homemakers, potential mothers, all these things and not have a wrinkle out of place. And it, and it's not, it really, um, corrodes the spirit in a lot of ways, I think, because it is too much pressure on ourselves. And you know what? There is beauty in the mess. There is beauty right. in the struggle. And if you can't find love for the struggle, it's going to be a terrible road for you. Right. One of the, um, one of my, her Friday guests, she was saying, I think I sounded a mess. And I said, you're, you're perfectly imperfect. Mm -hmm. I rather, I, I, we need real women to speak. Mm -hmm. I'm not a radio host. I'm not trying <laughs> to be perfect. It is people need to hear people that are not trying to be perfect. They need to hear real people. Like Absolutely. Well, I'm so proud of you, Everett. This is amazing. I can't wait to continue to follow it. I'm going to tag the podcast. It's called The Absence of Her. It's on all the platforms. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. 
thank you for inviting me and I continue to listen to your podcast as well <laughs> all right and thank you guys please like subscribe rate and review and follow us through the website mikeandjoneses podcast.com thanks guys bye